This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Today I speak with Sam Clothier. He is a diver from Australia and uh, originally got started in the UK, then moved to Australia to experience some of the amazing activities down there and adventures and he shares those with us via his YouTube channel Wet Mammal. You've also probably seen his Instagram page uh, Wet Mammal as well. He really focuses a lot of things like I said on adventure but he does catching and cooks with all kinds of fish that you would never think about um, trying to actually eat and some of them are great and some of them are not so great but I love his honesty and his sense of adventure and I hope you guys enjoy the show and be sure to check out and subscribe to his YouTube channel. And now I'd like to thank our sponsor, Mr. Ted Hardy of Immersion Freediving. Uh, enter promo code SPEARFACTOR for 15% off uh, on his 28-day freediving transformation course. And uh, it's pretty awesome. I've used it and I recommend it. So you can find this course and the other courses Ted puts out for us at freedivingsafety.com. Um, like I said, enter the promo code SPEARFACTOR for the discount. And thanks, Ted, for sponsoring the show. Our next sponsor is Hot Rod Spear Guns. Uh, Paul has offered us 10% discount with a promo code SPEARFACTOR. So thanks, Paul, for making badass guns and uh, providing a hookup for our listeners. And Chimera Side Slip. So Chimera Side Slip, you can purchase those at Chimera Spearfishing. That's K-I-M-E-R-A. And basically, I've talked about the side slip before on the show. It's kind of the benefits of a slip tip without worrying about breaking your tip hunting around rocks. Uh, it replaces the flopper with a side slip. Uh, check it out more at the website. And if you use promo code SPEARFACTOR, all lowercase, at checkout, they'll give you 5% off. And our last sponsor is One Drop Spearfishing. Basically, a, an environmentally minded group of guys that love to dive, live and breathe it, 
but their whole focus is feeding friends and family and enjoying their time in the water. Nothing more, nothing less. Um, solid group of guys. And uh, check out their website, One Drop Spearfishing. Check them out on YouTube, One Drop Spearfishing. And if you'd like to uh, sponsor Spear Factor Podcast, feel free. Uh, you can go ahead and shoot me a note on the website, spearfactor.com. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Spear Factor. Today, we have a, um, a man from down under. Sam, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, guys. Um, I'm Sam Clovia, or some of you might know me as the wet mammal. And um, yeah, I'm a, a pommy guy that's now found his way out in Australia and love and froth off spearfishing. Yeah. Well, welcome to the show, Sam. I, I heard you with uh, Shrek and uh, I loved it. And I love it's always interesting to get UK guys because people think of, you know, the United Kingdom and they don't think of spearfishing. And I know Dan, Daniel Mann did like kind of the reverse of what you did. He came from Australia to there. And it's always interesting. And I think that people that really love, you can't fake love. You can't fake loving diving when you live in places where it's probably not the best conditions or, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so when people, I always appreciate when people grow up that way or, or they go and they're still doing what they got to do. And it's like, this person is not doing this for social media, not bullshitting. He's hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. So, um, and on the podcast with Shrek, you kind of went into your background as far as like coming from the UK and, um, and then we, just before our recording, I asked you, how did you get to Australia from the UK? So you want to just start off with sharing that? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, I was enjoying life in the UK and I've been primed from a young age to um, go into the Marines. It was a, a dream of mine since I was a kid. Come from a massively um, or massive military backgrounds with my dad and um, yeah, uncle and stuff like that, brother-in-laws in the Marines. So um, yeah, it was always kind of destined for me to, to join up and go in and the Marines was more naval based, obviously, so more ocean. So that's why I was more drawn to it. My dad was a paratrooper, so the complete opposite. I actually hate each other. Um, but yes, yeah, so I went in and during basic training um, for that, I like basically injured my ankle and was a bit deflated at home for six weeks. So um, I booked a flight to Australia. That was a two week trip. And on the uh, fifth day of the trip, I canceled my flight home and stayed out in Australia. And yeah, it's been seven years now. So <laughs> that that's classic. Cause uh, I, my dad, I have a, my family's military background too. And like, I remember when I told my dad, uh, when I was, I went to, uh, the military Academy and I know we went against the Sandhurst guys. And I remember telling my dad when I was, I was leaving cause I had some injuries too. And I said, maybe I'll just go back to San Diego and, uh, you know, maybe I'll go try to be a seal or something. And like, it was like, you could hear a pin drop. He was like, you know, that <laughs> shit out of your head. And I was like, Whoa, okay. Okay. <laughs> never mind. Nothing against seals, but it's just funny how, how brainwashed we all are. Um, so what was it about Australia when you went there and you were like, all right, this is, I'm staying like, um, I already have a connection to Australia. So, um, my nan lives out here. My dad spent some time out here as well. And, um, yeah, I came here when I was growing up. So I already had that little connection. My mates were out here, um, which is why I came over for that two week trip to join them and catch up with them. And then, um, yeah, just the, the ocean going from UK waters where on the best day I dove as a kid was probably like eight to 10 meters viz and that was like the best happens like once every few years 
um, and diving in like 15 degree water to suddenly experiencing like 25 degree water and like 20, 30 meters viz. It's, it's pretty hard to um, turn that down and leave that. So. No, it makes sense to a lot of us, I think. Yeah. I mean, and then the, the lifestyle, I think in Australia and I never, I went there once in Melbourne, but the whole lifestyle of the country is centered around the ocean. It seems like, you know, like for the most part. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, it's tuned into everyone's jobs and everyone just froths on the ocean. So. Yeah. I love it. That's, that's amazing. Uh, we always say like the crazy thing about Australia for us, like uh, us guys is that Australia has the population of like half of California in something the size of the United States, which mm. to us is like, Oh my God, we got to get over there. Like that's yeah. incredible. I mean, I remember when I was traveling the world and I've gone to, we landed and it's been a dream of mine since I was little to go to Australia. My, uh, one of my good friends growing up was from Australia and I always wanted to go there because it was like, you know, you watch sharks and all this stuff. You love the ocean. It's like Australia's like, you know, the like the surf and everything. And then I got there and I was like a little kid. And I remember like talking to my wife and I was looking at the hotel, at the hotel room. And you look down on the freeways or the freeways or roads, whatever you guys call them there. And it was like, there was nobody out. And I was mm -hmm. like, it's like the U.S. after like a nuclear war. Like there's yeah. nobody <laughs> here. And everything is pretty clean because it just doesn't get like the amount of wear. And so that like blew me away. And then we went down the great ocean road a little bit because mm. we had some time off. And uh, I was like, man, this place is like the land time forgot. This is incredible. It's like yeah. here in Australia, if I was going surfing, I want to find someone to surf with, you know, here it's like, you're just trying to get away from all the crowds. But, yeah. and I know it, it has its areas too, like obviously Queensland and, and all of that. But um, so Besides spearfishing, I mean, you kind of jumped into the social media thing as far as YouTube and your brand, Wet Mammal. Yeah. What, what kind of led you up to that? Um, so I'd always been interested as a kid as, as a video. And um, I started off with a YouTube account when I was like maybe 12 years old. And I just used to video cliff jumping. So um, me and my mates going down to the rocks after school and just jumping off big cliffs into the ocean and having fun with that, like our barbecues and trips away and, and so on. So it kind of just evolved from that. And then when I came to Australia, because of, I wasn't filming anything initially, I was just kind of enjoying Australia. But then um, I wanted to show my family and friends what I was getting up to back home in the UK. So the videos were all personal. Uh, I didn't put them on YouTube and I just used to make them and then send them back to those guys like as something for them to watch when, yeah, so they could see what I was up to. And um, yeah, and then I started doing the YouTube because of a few people were really curious at work about what I did, like what spearfishing was. Like you'd say to somebody that you go spearfishing and they kind of think that you're running around with a spear kind of trying to throw it at a fish. So um, then I started videoing to try and change people's perceptions and educate people on what spearfishing is. Um, and then, yeah, just seemed to kind of grow a little bit. And I really enjoy the, the editing, the videoing, the whole process I absolutely love. So yeah, it just kind of developed naturally. I think it's amazing that, um, you know, so many people fish throughout the world. Like fishing is just a way of life for so many people. It doesn't matter where you are, what class you are, everyone's uh, everyone fishes, mm -hmm. but then you say something about spear fishing and nobody has any idea what you're talking about. And yeah. it's just like pretty amazing. Even, uh, sometimes you go, uh, for us, we go inland and I'll talk to family and all of that. And it's like, they're just mesmerized the fact that you do what? Isn't there sharks? 
yeah. the whole time it's always the shark thing it's like well you know um and then you tell them yeah there is sharks like whoa you know but not everything is great white but yeah so it's just interesting though that it blows me away how i think social media is a very powerful tool and I, i've noticed this even on tiktok which is kind of funny like how people will comment that they didn't even know what this thing is a fishing is and like i can only imagine how many people you know, their minds are probably blown when they see it and they may not have the means to get guns, but they're going to find a way. And then again, in some cultures too, like in the Philippines, it's ingrained uh, over time, but really amazing how, how I don't want to say clueless because that would be a negative term, but just how really naive a lot of people are to the fact that this, the, the way of fishing even exists, you know, um, yeah. especially with so many people depending on fish for food. Um, but, uh, so I, I mentioned about your YouTube channel and I saw the, uh, the one with the, was it a bronze whaler? Is a, yeah, 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 yeah. What? So talk about that. And I noticed most of your videos too, are like three minutes long, just real quick little clips. Yeah. Uh, was there any, like, was there a reason for that? Or did you just notice like, that's just what they kind of come out to or. No, that's that's just what I kind of liked to release. It was it was based on personal preference. So initially, when I used to watch YouTube, I used to like shorter videos. I wasn't too into longer longer clips. I didn't have the time for them. So yeah, the shorter videos naturally kind of developed as they were. And now, as I've gotten a bit older and I've got a, a bit more to say, almost <laughs> uh, the videos have gotten a little bit longer. But that's just yeah, that's just natural. Yeah, it's incredible how much you know editing really goes into like a ten minute video. Mm. Um, I was talking to Shrek about that too. Like where he was saying, like, you know, his trip, it's just like, people don't see that side of it. And, um, yeah, there's like, it almost seems like if you do a three minute video, it takes this amount of time, but if you do a 10 minute video, it takes like exponentially more and the amount of footage you really need to narrow that down. And then yeah. you got to go through it all. It's, uh, it's definitely, you got to have some time on your hands, I guess, or, or be able to utilize some some labor in other parts of the world for a cheaper price or something because <laughs> yeah. it takes forever. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so then another video on there. Cool. I saw you went to Fiji and I've been to Fiji yeah. here my honeymoon and that place is amazing. Where were you when you were in Fiji? Um, so I went, uh, like I flew into Nandi and then I went out to the Mamanukas, the island chain. So just off the, the west coast of, of Nandi. And then just straight up the top there and yeah, the, the Uasawas as well. And just, yeah, absolutely loved it. it I'm, I've got huge time and respect for Fiji. I initially went over for four or five days. And whilst I was still in Fiji, I booked another flight to Fiji to come back in like five months time. I just absolutely loved it. The people, the culture, the ocean. Yeah. Just everything. Just that's, that's, uh, that's where we stayed. My wife and I, when we went there, like in 2000, uh, three was the we stayed on Matamanoa, the uh, resort yeah. island. Yeah, and then we would go down and surf, and just just in general, the people. It's just a magical place. It really is. Um, and I kind of I skipped over. I forgot to talk to you a little more about the bronzy though. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah um, I got off track. Yeah. I was thinking about all the other videos. Like, oh, I want to ask about that. So the <laughs> the bronzy, you were in Western yeah. Australia, right? Yeah, in, in WA, in probably one of the sharkiest spots of WA. Um, I lived in Margaret River. I lived in Perth initially, and then I came down to Margs. And um, 
yeah, we used to see big sharks like quite frequently. And that was my first real encounter with a shark that acted aggressively to me. So I'd come from the UK, I'd been diving like 10 years at that point and never encountered a shark. So in the UK, we don't have like big sharks. Like we have little tiny friendly things, but we don't have like anything over really over a meter. And um, the ones that are over a meter, they're super chilled and they're kind of like carpet sharks. They just all hust. Um, so yeah, coming into that, I did everything wrong. I just shot a, um, a silver drummer, which is a, is an undesirable fish, but I shot that fish and, um, was feeding the boys with it and we'd make curries and stuff. And that was good. But, um, I shot it and the vibrations from the fish straight away, just brought on the shark. So I like pulled the, the fish into me and you can see a fair bit of blood's coming out and this shark just comes in hell aggressive. And instead of me defending my catch and kind of being assertive with the shark, I just chuck at the fish and swim back to the shore whilst the fish is still on the end of the spear. So of course then the shark's in like a, like a predatory mode where it's then like targeting this injured fish and coming back and you can see the jaws open and stuff and snap down. So I got out of the water, I was diving on my own and I was probably about 150 meters off the coast and um, or from the beach where I was at. And I got off the, off the beach and told the boys they're all English and they just didn't believe. They're like, no, nah, no. Nah. And I was like getting my GoPro off the head or I can't remember if it was on the gun or off, off my head. But yeah, I can remember just like quickly scrambling to get it off and then saw that it was still videoing. And I was like, yes, I can show them. This is, this is proof. So we watched the video on the beach and all the boys were like, oh my. And absolutely lost their, lost their heads that this massive shark could just yeah, chase me back. You said it was like uh, three meters or? Yeah. Yeah. He would have been close to three meters. Good yeah. Shot. It was fun. It was funny. Cause I, you know, it's funny you say that I was watching that and I was like, Oh, he's going to get a lot of shit for this. Mm. And I was looking in the comments and nobody said anything. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, you don't do that. Like, you know, um, luckily, luckily the channel wasn't too popular back then. So um, <laughs> yeah, no, nobody's really seen the clip. If they, yeah, if people watched it now, go, go check it out and then just, just light them up. You know, go check them out a lot of much deserved. Well, the thing that I love about it, and, and I remember you spoke to Shrek about this too on Noob Spiro was um, making mistakes, you know, and I think that that's the thing that kind of cracks me up as, as far as like, there's this, there's this guard, old guard. That's like, if you make one mistake, just, they just light you up. Yeah, rather, yeah. Rather than just being like, "Hey, you know, we prop like just FYI, teach you," because I mean, I think we well, everybody's there when you you know you make mistakes or, and all that stuff. Um, fish ID, where it's like, there's guys here that go and shoot like the California uh, fish, you know, Garibaldi we call them, and you're like, "Yeah, no, dude, uh, you know." I took a friend out one time years ago. He was brand new, and he's like, "I shot a shark." I shot and that was like the pinnacle of like his life. He shot a shark and it was a horn shark. And I was like, dude, you might want to just let that thing go. Uh, that's not like, you know, we're looking for it. But in his yeah. one, you know, that was like shark killer, or, you know. The, yeah, like yeah. You guys were talking about the big scuba knife and it's like, ah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, everybody, everybody is at that point in some way, shape, or form in their life. So hundred uh, percent. I always yeah. try and be as honest as possible with my mistakes because of then people can learn for them. And it's about creating that environment where it is okay to admit to things that you've done wrong so that it's not taboo, like, because there's no point. And um, with Noob Spiro, we went into me hyperventilating for as many years as I did. <laughs> right. But there's, there's, there's no point of me keeping that to myself and just trying to protect my pride when 
somebody could be in danger. So like, I'm quite happy to open up and say, Hey, this is wrong. Like I did this. It was a mistake. Nobody's, nobody's God like out there. And yeah, we all make mistakes. We had a, we had a, um, I would, when you, when you were actually sharing that, I was thinking about, um, I swear, you know, 20 years ago, that's what they taught us was hyperventilating. Like in yeah. a way, like blow out for 10 seconds, right? Blow off all your CO2. You can hold your breath longer. Mm. Um, I was like, oh, okay. Then you breathe in for, you know, like now everything, it seems to switch to tidal breathing, you know, yeah. but before it was just like, get it all out. Then just hyperoxygenate your blood. You're good to go. It's like, no, that's mm. actually hyperventilating. But um, like you, you don't know what you don't know. And it's like, I don't know problems. It worked. So, okay. Yeah, exactly. Everything was comfortable, you know? Yeah. Um, no, it's. It's uh, I'm so glad that you, you know, that you're that way, because I feel like so many people try to, to, to not make it okay to be, I don't know, real for lack of a better terms. Mm. Um, I got a video where I shot this dog tooth, like an 80 pound dog tooth with a reel, just because I was an idiot. Yeah. And a lot of guys do it, but that's not my preferred method. And nor was I prepared for that. Yeah. Uh, I was, you know, I, I guess I titled it like I almost died. And it was kind of a facetious, but I felt like I was about to die um, as it's like water skiing through the, you know, I felt like I was about to water ski through the, the water. And um, there was a lot of comments, but there's also like, oh, you almost die. Really, really. I almost let go of the gun. I was like, okay, dude. But like, the fact is like, it scared the shit out of me. Like I was, yeah. it was stupid and it was stupid. And the other thing is like, you know, you not only put yourself in a risk with situations like feeding sharks fish you know whatever it is like you put yeah. your buddies like or the next yeah, yeah. guy that goes out there and dives yeah. but um if nobody taught you how the hell are you supposed to know you know yeah that's, um, that's yeah so i actually really appreciated that i was like oh that's a good talking point like you know <laughs> sharks uh western australia has always kind of fascinated me for a couple of reasons um number one the surf like margaret river mm. and then the other thing it just gets this like consistent i mean from my you know, from the outside looking in just consistent, like firing surf, big slabs everywhere. It's just like, Australia is just like wild and there's nobody yeah. there. And like, um, you know, some of the more popular surf, like, you know, Taj Burrow come out of there and all of that stuff. But like the other side dude, is the sharks and then the water's really clear, like for mm -hmm. the most part. Right. Yeah. So every time I look down, I go, ah, oh, it's like beautiful, clear, but then you get like some, it seems like you guys have like a mix of like tropical species or, you know, temperate species and then uh, cold water sharks and warm water sharks all mixed together, you yeah. know, and, and Barry Paxman, like you look at where he's going, I guess he goes a little Northern Australia or uh, Northern West Australia and shoots, you know, big Wahoo and all of that. But that area to Australia just seems like the wild West yeah. was it like, it's so Absolutely, weird. Like, yeah. how do you have a bronze whaler come in? Right. It's like pretty much warmer kind of shark. And then you just got these massive great whites swimming yeah. around and this beautiful, clear water. Yeah. Like so, same spot. I can remember being at um, Mark's and there was like a resident seal that was there for a couple of months. And um, a guy got knocked off his surfboard and thought it was thought it was a whale. In fact, it was so big and it turned out to be a great white. And that was the day before. And then we went down to the beach and like there's a rock pool kind of area where you can have a good swim in. So we were just swimming around in that and um, yeah, watch this seal and this seal went in and then there was a bit of commotion and like we, we left the beach and we went back the next day and some locals told us that the seal just got like absolutely smashed like 40 meters from where we had been swimming like a few hours before. 
So this, um, yeah, the poor seal was never seen again. Yeah, um, that's uh, frightening. Well, <laughs> the thing that I always thought about Australia, which is Western Australia, because because of the viz, and I don't know, do they have good viz most of the time? Is that the deal? Or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I I couldn't believe it. It depends kind of where you live. I think in like Shark Bay region, it's it gets a bit dirtier, and then like Exmouth, it can can get dirty up there. But generally, where I lived in Margs, and then down near Albany, like right down in the south, it was always pretty blue. Like yeah, especially in comparison to the UK. <laughs> Right. Yeah, seriously. And then, um, so it's like you have clear water, you got these big sharks and it always like for, for my little rule out here, it was like, anytime it's real murky, uh, if it's where I'm diving and if it's a sharky place or whatever it is, um, you know, that's just a recipe for a bad, bad day. And especially up in Northern and central California where they have bad visibility and real big sharks, there's more popular, uh, there's a bigger population up there, I guess. Maybe not. I don't know. There's a lot of sharks everywhere, I guess. But um, I noticed in, in WA where it's like clear water and you got these big sharks. And I wonder how much of an impact that plays in like shark attacks uh, or just sharks coming by. I wonder how many people see them like because it seems like there's a pretty healthy population and they don't yeah. get attacked because the shark's like, no, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the fat seal, mm. you know. Um, yeah, it definitely has heaps of shark attacks i mean um the boss that i worked for over there he was um he was a pom and he went over because his best mate was aussie and invited him over and he, his best mate was killed by a shark and i think i knew three people that were directly affected by shark attacks in margaret river um so that's just marked alone like but that southwest region has got so yeah so many shark attacks and shark sightings and stuff and it's not populated which is crazy like it's the population to, to shark ratio must be quite high yeah i think that's the scariest thing is that um you know uh there's not a lot of people so you would think ah you know but if you had a southern california population in western australia it would probably be like a bloodbath <laughs> and that's not i'm not trying to be dramatic i just like holy shit like and then i know as you go northern you know, um, and again, forgive me, this is like my American, but like, I know as you go north, north of, um, Western Australia, then you psych now you've dealt with tigers. Yeah. Again, yeah. It's another healthy population where, uh, one of my good friends I was interviewing on the, she was on the show once and he's like, yeah. Um, when he was there for, he was, a, he was a professional surfer and he was like, when we were swimming out in Western Australia, it was a huge bait ball. And it's just, the ocean is just alive out there, man. And he's like, I was swimming up on this bait ball and this 10 foot tiger came darting through the bait ball right between my legs. And mm. uh, he's like, as I was swimming out, one of the guys was like taking a picture. Cause he thought that was the last time he's going to see me alive just cause I was, mm. you know, but uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, as, as much as a deterrent it is, it's so awesome that there's such a healthy ecosystem still alive in that world, part of the world, you know? Yeah. Um, it's um it's a little bit scary in some ways i was diving up at exmouth um in april and it had just been like or nearly got smashed by a cyclone but the viz wasn't great because of the um the weather around it and um yeah i went out diving and it just it wasn't particularly clean it was probably like four to six meters and it was just like there was just stuff everywhere in the water just like yeah it wasn't wasn't great and i'm pretty sure i got id on a good tiger shark but came in for a, a little look and i looked at him and he was kind of just a shadow and then he went off into the shadows and i went into the more shallow water <laughs> <laughs> i went the opposite way 
Yeah. Yeah. I kind of noticed it, you know, like most predators, especially with tigers, like it seems like I've only seen a, a couple, but you know, the sharks, they come in, they like come in just where it's a shadow, but they see you obviously yeah, and they yeah. leave. And when they leave, you're like, Oh shit. You're like, where is he coming from? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, it's interesting, but the, I imagine how is the, the pot, like the fish population is just healthy. There's just a ton of fish everywhere. I saw like, uh, one thing that was kind of fascinating was that blue grouper they have out there. Yeah. That looked amazing. What a cool looking fish. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've never speared there in Australia, but, uh, it just seems like there's just such a healthy population of fish because there's nobody there. Yeah. 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 So I, I don't know what they're doing, but they're doing it right. Like whether it's the, the lack of population, the well-managed commercial fishing as well. Um, good grounds, like just good, good ground to create and generate like life. It must be a combination of things. Cause if it's, yeah, it's one of the fishiest places. No, I would say it's the fishiest place I've ever been. Um, it's just, yeah, off the, off the charts. And I haven't even been out to some of the islands that just contain just like dinosaurs and like fish that have never seen humans. Like, yeah. I've heard the islands uh, starts with an M out there. The, uh, what's the name of those islands? I think there's um, a group of three of them. It's off the uh, West coast of, um, it's off Western Oz, but they oh, were doing Carrollton. Yeah. It's up North kind of like um, they were doing actually there was uh surf tours going out there yeah but as i was looking at it there's just some there's a guy in that same region that catches surf uh surf surf fishing for sharks yeah just catching these fucking monster tigers and i'm like maybe i'll take a surf trip somewhere else i don't know uh, yeah. but uh yeah that place is all time um you mentioned traveling though where where have you uh where all have you been in throughout the world? I mean, obviously UK and Australia, but. Yeah, um, I've done a fair bit of diving around Europe as well. Um, not too much spearfishing though. Um, and then in Southeast Asia, I've done some spearfishing and a lot of free diving. Um, so like Philippines, Vietnam, Indonesia, Thailand. Um, yeah, whereas Philippines, yeah, Philippines was really good fun. Um, and then in the South Pacific, I've been to Fiji, Tonga, and Niue. Can't forget Niue, um, which is just incredible. It's this tiny little rock island that nobody's heard of. It's like 200 miles away from the nearest island. It's just a single volcanic rock that's got a population of, I think, about 1,800 people. And that is it. And like I was there for just over a month, and the viz didn't drop below 30 meters. It's just so what, special what what led you there how i i've never even heard that and i'm like obsessed with the south pacific but yeah. <laughs> maybe i just never pronounced it correctly but yeah <laughs> um yeah just that i didn't know anybody that had been there so like i i like used to trawl through the south pacific i've got an affinity for the south pacific and yeah just used to trawl through and just like check out all these little island chains and so on and stumbled across Niue and yeah, that was it. So you can only fly there from Auckland. I think they do one flight a week pre COVID. Um, and yeah, it's just magic. Like it takes you about 45 minutes, maybe an hour to drive around the whole Island. And there's just like little villages dotted around and yeah, it's just amazing. The people were so welcoming and yeah, just incredible. So you sound like me, like I, the South Pacific, I just love it. Like I've been Tahiti, Fiji, um, and then I want to go to Samoa. I just, the people 
And, um, you know, I feel like people don't understand like the South Pacific is so much different too than the Western Pacific more towards mm-hmm. Asia. Um, and I, you know, I, I have a little bit of experience with it, but it seems like the fish get bigger down in the South Pacific or something because yeah. it gets less fish out, I guess, less pressure. Um, but yeah, really amazing. Some of those islands, like you're saying, like, I can only imagine, I mean, there's so many thousands of islands and I know friends that have like got a couple islands that they're like, oh yeah. Then a couple of the world records been shot there. Yeah. Um, yeah you, if you're listening, you probably know what I'm talking about, but, um, yeah, I definitely want to go to places where nobody's gone just to, it's truly incredible. I think part is uh, one thing as a spirit fisherman, I think, and I, we're kind of like more adventurous too, in a lot of ways. I mean, we go in the water, we hunt, so that kind of drives us, but also like going to places off the beaten path and just what if, you know, you never know, like, what if you find the next, you know, Tonga, right. You find the next, whatever it is like you and your boys, like, cause you read all these, you know, and surfing's kind of the same way you read all these books where it's like, Oh, 30 years ago, you know, we had this and that and like, nobody even knew about it. these guys just adventured. And I know people that sail around through the Pacific South Pacific, and they'll tell me stories of like, there's a grouper in every hole, you yeah, know, yeah. It's like, but the problem is there's sharks everywhere. Cause they're healthy. Um, but yeah, would you say that was your most favorite, favorite place you visited? Yeah. In the, in the South Pacific, New A, yeah, winds hands down, just being able to dive. I think I dove like 28 days out of like 32 days or something like that. And it was just, yeah, the viz just didn't drop off. And like the, the rock, like the reef, some areas you've got like quite shallow reef, like five to 10 meters. And then other areas you've just got strike drop-offs that go down to like 50 meters, but you've got decent like bombies and stuff at 30 meters that you can dive on the top of and yeah, pop good fish. And yeah, it's just awesome. Awesome dive. Oh, that sounds like a pretty amazing trip. How long were you there for? You said 30 days. Yeah. Just over 30 days. So were you uh, filming when you were there or what were you doing? Yeah, I did. I did a bit of film and I went over there. So they got smashed by a cyclone. They, they've got a pretty prolific cyclone season and I went just after it. So I went to kind of like help rebuild a little bit and just volunteer. I didn't do it for an organization, just organized it through Facebook. They've got a, a Facebook group for the island and it's actually really active. So I just posted in there that I wanted to come over and, and help out if anybody was available, like if anybody needed any jobs and that I had a bit of carpentry and I can wire things up like a bit of a sparky background as well. So um, yeah, I was just keen to get over there and help and dive. Obviously that was, that was yeah. another reason to go over. So yeah, I did um, some volunteering in a cafe and like built some toilet blocks and rebuilt a kitchen and some homes and stuff like that. And then when I could, I'd just get in the water and, joined the local touch rugby team as well and got stuck into that. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's uh, good on you, man. That's pretty awesome too. Uh, and enjoy it while you have that freedom, you know, cause sometimes life starts catching up with you and it's like, um, but wow, what a treat. That's awesome. I, uh, yeah, I was in Guam and they had a typhoon come through and just destroy Saipan. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had to go up there and like survey, uh, some of the group after me went up there and surveyed the, the ports to make sure they can get supplies in. And it's really sad to see these people, you know, I guess it's hard when you're in the first world countries and like, you don't understand that like these, <laughs> these people have nothing like that. And they're okay with that. And I'm not disrespecting that at all. It's actually pretty amazing, but they live in center block houses or whatever it is. Yeah. And then they get wiped out. There's nobody coming to help you. 
like you know unless uh maybe you know someone like yourself or like organized groups or something come but um no, that's pretty special and then and then i feel like you, you do stuff like that and then you just get to really open the door up to really see the people and like live yeah. with them and experience it like that's the best part to me is traveling is just meeting all the different people and, and kind of picking and choosing what you like about this group. What I like, I like about this culture is really cool. What they do here. I like this too. I don't necessarily like this, but I like this. And it's like, that's part of the reason why I love the South Pacific too, is I always tell everybody, I go, you know, why I love like the Polynesian way is that um, there's no need for police, right? Everybody's polite. If you're rude, we just get punched in the face and then it gets handled. Yeah. And I really enjoy that. Like everybody's pretty polite and what, you know, and it's honor. There's a code I think there. And I, and I think that evolved probably from when you're on an Island, you're so dependent on everybody. So you have to work together or you'll die. Like you're not going to survive. And I think that's why I love that culture because they really have that sense of family. And, and, you know, that's the, my favorite thing about that place. It's it's huge. Like even on the um the radio station, they've got one radio station in Nui, and um yeah, they announce everyone's birthdays in the morning, and they'll just like come up with like feel good messages, like go and hug like your brother, like go and hug your sister, or if you've like fallen out with someone, make sure you go and give them a hug, or like bring them some food or something like like it's just so good to listen to. It's so humble and so yeah. That that makes me want to just pick up my kids and go down there, and my wife and I, and just go awesome. down and have a vacation. You know, I mean. <laughs> It's just awesome. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Um, so you have your uh, you're a filmmaker too, right? Besides your YouTube channel, is that yeah? Is that yeah, yeah, your yeah. your profession or? Um, it's something that I've fallen into a little bit for um due to COVID. So I was an event manager, but um COVID's kind of killed the events industry for a little while. So um I actually just tried starting it back up again, and I got three days into an event, and then we had to cancel the event because we've had this uh, flare up in Sydney, which is no fun, but I've been doing um, some video editing for a travel company, which is quite funny. They're not traveling, but they're making travel videos at the moment to try and yeah entice people to travel domestically. So doing that with first class um, and that's, that's pretty fun. Yeah. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. That's cool. And that probably is going to carry over. Does that complement your YouTube stuff? I mean, um, well, first of all, what do you use to edit your videos? What software do you like? Um, I'm in two softwares. So I, I film with the Blackmagic Pocket Cinema Camera, the 4K. So I film with that, and then I do a bit of color grading in DaVinci Resolve. And then I export it and then do everything in Final Cut just because I grew up in Final Cut. So, right. No, my daughter has a, uh, I have a Mac, but she has a, uh, um, a, uh, I, uh, what, what the hell, PC. And she has got the new stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't want to go through learning all this all over again. Like, oh. what is this a pain in the ass? Like, yeah. but um, yeah, no, that's awesome. And then, that's kind of nice to get a job so i get a job where you can complement your personal your fun stuff yeah yeah well i mean it's it's led to spearfishing trips where i've gone and i've gone on a spearfishing trip but then i've just captured some other stuff for the travel side of things and then i get paid to do that and yeah win-win so i'm getting paid for for my trips now which is that life goals man that's it yeah. right there. i've i've been i've been guilty of that myself yeah <laughs> 
it's so it's so good it's like it's all slowly kind of coming together and it just yeah seems to be going in my way every single time something bad happens something good comes straight around the corner so yeah so lucky very grateful that's beautiful yeah i mean i was the same thing i tell everybody how blessed i am for uh, having jobs that work around the water and you know when you do that i just feel like your experience knowledge whatever it is just goes through the roof and then you get these crazy opportunities where like for me i was stuck on an island for four months i'm like oh okay you know with minimal stuff to do well okay yeah i took advantage of it yeah awesome. that's the, why the boss pulled me aside was like hey you got to ease up on the posting you're gonna looks like you're not working i was like okay making everybody in the office jealous oh yeah yeah it's good it's okay um so what's next for your youtube channel i mean you're uh i see you you're you pretty regularly posting stuff um, yep. what is your goal like what's your plan for that guy oh i don't i don't know it's something that i've always done for kind of fun and it was always just for fun and then as more people started kind of following the channel i then wanted to not preach but educate a little bit on spearfishing so with fish ids and recipes and stuff like that because a lot of people knock so many fish and they all they're doing is just filleting it and frying it but like there's so many fish where that style of cooking doesn't really work you do need to introduce like more potent flavors like chilies and like gingers and asian style cooking in in this especially um but then yeah now i'm now i'm really like keen to take it kind of global once covid settles down i want to travel the world and do like interviews with people and yeah just kind of like show different parts of the world do more of the hiking sphere which i love um but the weather keeps kind of screwing that up with covid as well the the combination of of lamina and covid has absolutely wrecked hike and spear for me the last like eight months so kind of like an anthony bourdain are you familiar with anthony bourdain yeah 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 i love um yeah i'm gonna have to talk to you about something when we get done recording here it might be right up your alley <laughs> all right awesome yeah no it's uh so let's talk a little about that because this is a new thing for me actually where I was never a great cook, but I've learned from some friends of mine that are, and it was like, oh my God, I've been missing out for years on this fish. Mm -hmm. um, when you say certain, what are your top like species that you like to cook certain ways? Like, do you have, I mean, obviously you have favorites, but what are the more common ones that you feel like the people could probably benefit from, you know, learning what you know? Um, so I've just, just got stuck into it all release later today, um, a fish called a cobbler and honestly it's one of the best fish i've ever eaten and like it's it's just not targeted it's not hunted and all i did was just crumbed it and cooked it up but that was delicious um and that's like one of the reasons why i'm so keen to explore more of the different flavors but i'm a i'm a huge fan of smoking fish so i love smoking fish um so yeah if i can i'll, I'll smoke or i'll go japanese style and kind of do either seared or just have it as sashimi they would be my favorite styles of cooking have you ever tried dry aging? I have. So I did a dry age. Um, I dry age most of the sashimi that I eat. So I'll put the fish in the fridge whole, uncovered, and leave it for a couple of days just to kind of intensify that flavor. Um, and then I did a really, really like strong dry age, which I did with a bit of a salt rub as well, um, and put that in the fridge. And I think that was like 10 or 11 days. That was a black drummer. And that was like prosciutto. Like it was like ham, like had a slight like kind of hint of fish to it but like it was literally like prosciutto so i just ended up shaving it and having it with cheese and crackers it was yum oh that's incredible yeah it's it sounds so funny to me because you you know 
you say 10 days, like my friend does the same thing. He's like, depending on the fish, uh, my buddy, uh, Mr. California, Matt, he's like, you know, he gets all into it and, he's, and his parents have a restaurant. And um, I was like, that just seems so ass backwards. I thought like, we don't want me to eat rotten fish. Like, no, nah. it's like, no, no, no. And I, you know, I did it. And it was like, my dad was like, this is the best fish I've ever had in my life. I was like, okay, sold. What, when you, the first fish, is that a regional, is that a local fish that you're talking about? The black drummer. No, the, uh, the very first one, I think the cobbler. Cobbler. No, that's somewhere that it's a fish that's found pretty much in the Southern half of Australia. So they they get them over in Western Australia as well from about Perth down, I think. And then, yeah, we definitely get them in Sydney. I don't far, know how far North up they go, but they live in estuaries and they live in oceans on reefs or in sand banks. Like they're everywhere, but, um, yeah, somehow they, maybe they're hard to commercially get and that's why we don't really know about them. I don't know, but they're awesome. And are they like pretty smaller size fish or? Yeah. Um, I don't know what they actually grow up to. They're definitely, I've seen some that would be over a kilo or close to two kilo um, for sure, but I don't know like how big they actually grow, but the one that I shot, he would have been probably at that, maybe like four, like close to 40, but it's quite like a long eel looking fish with like a catfish head. Um, yeah, really cool. That's kind of, it sounds like a, um, what is a, a not a paramundi, um, a, uh, what the heck is an Asian fish? I'm trying to think of it, but anyways, oh, um, a gar almost looking thing, huh? Like, you know, a gar looks? Yeah, it's it, not, not quite like a gar, like just picture or for me, a gar is like really, really long and thin, but this guy's like slightly fat and he's got like an eel tail. Okay. Um, and then like a catfish head with like whiskers. Cool. I got to look that up. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think it's great. But it's, the funny thing is well, exactly what you said about the commercialized stuff. I think some fish, like like I know dog tooth do really well because they don't school up. So it's hard for them, you know, and I know they don't even really highly prize it in parts of the world, which is comical to me. It's pretty good. But I love the fact that they don't school. They can't get them. You got to like handline fish for a lot of these animals. And um, I think that probably saves a lot of them too. Yeah. Uh, but then like you said, um, you know, the smaller grade fish, like people don't hunt them. And I'm convinced it's because they don't look good when you hold it up on a camera. People yeah. yeah. Get it. You know, it's like, like, Oh, okay. Like moose, right? Like moose are amazing yeah. to hunt. Like I shot the smallest moo I've ever shot in my life. It was the first moo. Yeah. And I was like, number one, I hit it. So I was really excited, but I was like hiding under the, uh, you know, down on the reef, jump out huh, and like shot him. And I was like, yes, you know, it feels good to hunt a fish like that but then people are like oh mike do you realize how hard these fish are to hunt like yeah yeah you know um and then someone will throw up like a giant you know a big tuna or something that swam right up to their face and they shot it you know just like like nobody cares <laughs> yeah. yeah it's 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 funny how like the um the perception of fish like yeah you can come out with like a small like japanese big eyed brim or, or something like that like a moo and it's not that big and nobody really pays much attention to it. But then if you come out with like a huge mahi that you literally just jumped in the water and floated by it and shot it, everyone's oh, yeah. like, oh, but like when you, when you spear, that's when, you know, like the, the challenge. Right. The challenge the ma- yeah. The mahi is like the, I don't want to say dumb as a disrespect, but like the t- <laughs> just swim right up to you. It's like, really? I mean, I've poked them before, you know? Like- yeah. Yeah, we have uh, yellowtail are kind of like that too here. Uh, basic kingfish or kingfish, but uh, yep. the big ones tend to be smarter though, and they do stay off, and you got to hunt them a little bit. That, that's yeah. level. Just 
for the hunt. But yeah, I think there's like this perception of the people that don't understand, you know, the whole, at, at the root of everything, it's like you, you shoot these animals, you kill them cause you're going to eat them. And yeah. like, yeah. And, and, uh, I have a lot of respect. I know guys that have never shot any really big fish, but they've been diving probably 40 years. Yeah. And just go in the water and they shoot like Gweely, whatever it is in Guam and, 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 um, rudder fish or just smaller fish. Mm. And it's perfectly content. I just have so much respect for people like that. I've managed just to avoid all the bullshit and just, you yeah. know, they do their thing. It's so great. Um, awesome. yeah, I, still- I shot fish over 20 kilo until this year and I've been diving since I was a kid. So like, that's like 15, 16 years and I hadn't shot anything huge, like not even over like 10 kilo, really like everything's just always been fish for me and even when i come across like a school of like bass in the uk when i was a kid like there's no need to shoot the biggest thing like i'm just happy taking what what i want and yeah just plug a nice fish whatever prevent presents me with the good shot but it won't yeah almost always it wouldn't be the biggest um but as i'm getting a bit older like now i'm definitely keen to shoot another tuna but um yeah it was just it's just a different experience entirely and the meat was so good so um yeah well, a couple of things there like one you the tuna which i want to talk to you about the tuna the bluefin right southern bluefin yeah um because i saw that in the picture i think the shrek you, you sent shrek and he showed it yeah um, and then the other thing is like yeah i feel like as i don't know some people and i'm guilty of this too i don't but it's like when i was younger spearfishing it was um oh, i'll just swim around and then okay i didn't see and i'll just shoot one fish and I'll go home and, and cause I didn't want to deal with filleting a bunch of fish. So I just shoot one nice calico bass and I'm good or whatever it was sheep's head, just one fish and I'm good. And then now as you've done that over and over again, it, it, for me, it's molded into, I'm not pulling the trigger unless it's something significant. Yeah. <laughs> Which in its own way is kind of a sense of being select. I mean, it is being selective and it's being, you know, as long as you're aware of what you're doing, when you pull that trigger and, and the impact that'll have, but yeah, I've let, I mean, one of the places we dive, which I love is this is a cool picture in my mind still of like getting vortex by like 20 pound kingfish, which are pretty decent, which are decent size kingfish here, uh, yellowtail here. And you're just like, they're like little rats, you know, you're like, guys, get out of the way, get out of the way, get out of the way. There's a big one right behind there, you know? And, um, you, you swim among, and it's kind of cool. And the thing I like about that, which I tell a lot of people is, when you do that and, and you're very selective, the ones you're not going to shoot, you can try out things on them. You can like yeah, yeah. see how they respond. You can throw a piece of kelp and see if they check it out. And, and that actually where I learned a lot of my little tricks that I do um, hunting is just from playing around with the little guys and the medium guys that I probably would have shot, you know, 15 years ago, but now I don't really want to bother with them. And, you know, somebody else has their turn with them. Not me. It's all good, but yeah, um, and I feel like yeah, as, as spirit, sometimes we go, we just graduate to that, and then. But I remember being younger, thinking trophy hunter is bad thing. Trophy hunter, trophy mm-hmm. hunter. Yeah, yeah. And now I have a different feeling about it. Like you know, um, like you let a lot of fish go, you let a lot of fish go, and you just wait for that one boy. You know. But um, speaking of trophy hunting, you're southern bluefin. Yeah. Yeah. So tell, tell, let's talk the story about that. I, I want to know like, where are you at? And like with the situation, cause it's as California, we have our bluefin out there right now. And yeah. it's always interesting to see how fish behave or the situation or is it similar than where we're at, you know? 
Um, so there's no real like heroic story to it. I was, went spearfishing. I flew down to, to Melbourne and um, went diving with my mates, James and Aaron. James from Southern Spearfishing and Aaron from Two Fresh Productions. And um, James is a wizard for Southern Bluefin. Like the guy, he he essentially is a bluefin tuner. Like he he just knows exactly how to get to them, where they are, where they're going to be, depending on like the climate and the weather and all the rest of it. Just, yeah. So um, going out on the boat with him made it very easy. We went after a big cray first and nailed, I got a four kilo cray, which was awesome. Um, and then we went blue water and yeah, he literally just pulled us up to a spot and he could see the tuner. I, I couldn't see what he was looking at at first, but he could just see the tuner and he was like, they're over there. So he's like slowed down. He was like, jump in. We won't shoot these ones. Just jump in and go and have a look. And I dove down and just, yeah probably like 40 50 tuna like 20 kilos plus just swimming by and i was like wow so then we jumped in the boat and then drove to a different spot and he kind of set us up and me and aaron both went in different directions and i just felt good about the direction that i was going in and i like popped my head up and looked at james and james was like thumb up so i just like had a dive down and yeah, was down there. I don't even know how long like could have been 10 seconds could have been 40 seconds i don't know but these fish just came came by cruising by and it was just the coolest thing like yeah they were so cool underwater they're cooler than seeing like a big school of kingies they're just amazing to see and um yeah lined up shot and pop got him i would say it's like uh it's like being in national geographic you know like yeah. my very first time ever diving for bluefin was i got vortex by 200 pounders yeah. and i didn't know any different or anything i was like oh so this is what Wow. And they were just like going around me and they were so like, it seemed like they were so close, but yeah. yeah, just incredible fish. I mean, it's like you said, it's totally different than king, like where kingfish, like, and I'm not sure exactly how they are down there, but they're paying attention to you really. Like they're really paying attention to you and they're kind of like, Whoa, act more like schooling fish or bluefin are just kind of doing their thing. And you're just kind of an obstacle in the way. And you know, yeah, yeah. yeah really cool. And, um, that what time of year does that happen in Australia? Like, so um from what james has told me they've got bluefin most of the year now and it's a thing that's only kind of come about in the last few years they've really kind of like bounced back um and yeah they've just got a solid strong population and they're just kind of not quite resident but pretty much getting getting there um and there are better times to go like when we went was like a really good time to go for those guys but then um as the year goes on you get some of the bigger guys roll through that are like 100 kilo the barrels come through so, um, yeah, like we were actually going to go um, down on a trip in a week and a half to go and maybe chase a barrel. So, that a boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> boy. There's so much meat on those fish, too. Like I was just talking about that. The, um, the fat content that goes through its belly, like the, oh, the sashimi was just next level. I'd, yeah. It's been a long time since I've like truly tasted something like that. Your tongue gets covered in velvet and it's just like, Oh, it's amazing so it's it's funny you say that because you know you hear people say oh the toro you know the you know and uh when we shot our first one we got you know especially on the big one because my buddy shot a 210 pound um so like 100 kilo you know and uh the we just got these big strips it's just fat and i was like okay let's see what the hype's about because these go for like 50 dollars or what you know and i put that thing in my mouth and I was just like, it's gone. It just felt like yeah. it just disappeared. And I told my friend, I was like, 
this this is actually now i see why people are going after this thing wow and my wife was like oh my god and then we ate so much we ended up getting like the shits or something but (laughs) (laughs) i know strike loves to talk about shitty everybody shitting themselves that yeah 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 so 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 good you like yeah there's nothing in the ocean like that i've experienced that is is like yeah the the torto like it's just yeah, I, I would concur to that too. Like it's the most unique like part of the fish I've ever tasted. And yeah. um it lives up to every bit of it. It's just incredible. Um yeah, I could see why people go after those things for that. And it's, it's, it's fish. <laughs> yeah. And then what as far as like your technique, when you guys are pretty much are you running and gunning on these fish, like you see them and you coming up, or like are you killing the engines and jumping in, or what do you do down there? Yeah, so um we were pulling up like probably about 50 to 60 meters off them, like, like getting pretty close. And then James would like slow right down and kind of just drift towards them a little bit more. We'd get ready and then just jump in the water and swim towards them, maybe like 30 meters or so, and then dive down. And we had great visibility. So I don't know what happens on a day where there's not so much fizz, but that's just what we did. And yeah, it worked. We got two, two big tuna on the boat, which was enough. What size were they? Um, so mine, I, after I'd like, this is the, one of the few times that I've like weighed a fish. So I don't weigh, I don't really. Right. Um, so, but is special. So had to, um, but I gilled it and gutted it and it went like 23 and a half kilo. Ah, um, beautiful. Which was just awesome. And then Aaron got one and he kept everything in that fish. And that was a, a junior state record or junior australian record for the southern bluefin tuna and that was 26 and a half kilo i think so good fish oh that's yeah that's so great it's funny too uh you know i was just did a podcast with my friend and he just got shot his first one and he was the one I, there's a whole story too but he uh it, it was funny because he was so frigging stoked on his tuna and in the grand scheme, it's like relatively compared to a lot of the guys are getting the big cows, like the hundred plus, you know, it's like, that's a, that's a smaller grade tuna. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it was just so great. Cause it was like, who gives a shit? Like yeah. he was so, and, and, and the family ate the fins, they ate everything. I mean, he's Chamorro. So they just like, and it was such a cool thing and to be a part of that and then to see him. And it just re- kind of reminded me about like really what it's all about. It's like, cause I have like this trophy hunter, like I got to get a triple digit one. And yeah. really in the grand scheme, it doesn't mean shit, <laughs> you know, it's just, we're out here just diving and every fish that you take is a life you take and it yeah. means something. Right. So yeah. it's like, it was really cool to, to be a part of that and get reminded of that with the, even the younger guys, it's, I love diving with younger guys because they kind of remind you of that stoke when they're young. Like they don't really care um, yeah. the size of the fish or anything. So uh, anyway, so what do, what do you think? What's your next spearfishing trip do you have planned? So um, we're going down to Tasmania and yeah, we're going to yeah target maybe a big barrel, but we're also just going to check out some grounds that hopefully people haven't speared before. Um, it's, Tasmania doesn't have a big population and then down towards the like the south and the southwestern side there's just areas where it's all national park like Tasmania as a as a state is split in half and pretty much the entire left coast or the left hand side of the the state is just national park so um there's some big craze out there which we're which we're aware of so hopefully we're going to go get some big craze but yeah just dive really cold waters 
Um, I'm really keen to hopefully swim with a like a seal leopard, which would be scary. Good. Yeah, scary, but like, no, nah, yeah, I don't, I don't know that much about them other than like, I, you know, I used to train sea lions, um, yeah. seals and stuff. And uh, so I appreciate, but it's like, those are big, scary animals. But my buddy has a picture where he trained a leopard seal. Yeah. It's so sick. Like, yeah, I would love to see one. They're just so bizarre looking and yeah, they're just awesome creatures. They've got elephant, elephant seals down there as well, which would be really cool to see. Um, and then, yeah, maybe some penguins and stuff, but just, just dive cold, cold, hopefully clear waters and explore some new ground. Yeah. Leopard seals look like there's something from like the prehistoric age because they have yeah. that wide mouth that opens and it's teeth, but it's a seal. It's like the weirdest thing. Like they just yeah. like, I don't know what it is, but they look so much different than regular. I guess their mouths are just so wide. Yeah. Um, yeah, really. I, I don't know that much about them. Do they, do they attack divers or go after divers or no idea? They're not, they're not too common in Tassie. So it, if we see one, it will be like a, an amazing thing to experience they're definitely not a guaranteed thing to spectate on but um yeah i guess we'll find out um yeah <laughs> we'll test the waters with that i know um with some of the big bull seals they can be really aggressive yeah i've um, experienced that yeah. so <laughs> i don't know if the if the sea leopards are going to be the same or leopard seals are going to be the same like i don't i don't know but yeah we, we're on a boat so we, the worst that can happen is we quickly jump in I do know they got big sharks down there, but that's just everywhere. You know, I mean, yeah. everybody says that, but it's like, then don't go in the fucking water. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Like every single time I dive solo most of the time. And like this time of year for us is particularly sharky and I'll still go in the water and just, you, you've just got to accept it. The, the sharks, you just need to be a bit wiser and probably like just change your dive habits a little bit different. So you try not to find yourself like 200 meters offshore um and if it's like super shit viz just don't don't go out or like just rock the shallows and just look for craze don't go into anything that a shark could be in um yeah just got to be smart but at the same time like i don't want all sharks dead they're an important part of the ocean and right you've just got to understand or we've got to understand that we're in their territory and that's just that that's how it goes yeah i mean that's yeah exactly i could yeah i totally understand that um so you dive solo and everybody knows, like everybody talks about dive with a buddy, you know, all that. And for years I just dove solo too, cause there was nobody to dive with. Um, and, uh, or fish we hunted. It was just like, so, and I just wrote like a blog about this, but how do you personally like mitigate the risk of diving solo and not blacking out? I mean, you said you're a rock hopper. So I'm assuming like you just pretty much like the look in the reefs, the shallow areas or yeah um the gen general rule of thumb don't dive below 20 um like on on my own so i uh, don't have a dive watch or anything so i kind of just eye stuff in and i could be completely off and like i think that i've done like maybe 45 seconds down on the bottom and i'm like yeah okay this is my limit i'll go up now and then when i watch the video back i'm like shit i'm a minute 30 like i shouldn't be doing this so that's a bit like hairy with diving on my own but i try and always like yeah, just be smart and i grew up in the water so i don't know if that's given me like false confidence throughout the years that like i will be okay because i'm always okay i've only really had two really like close encounters with problems and one was a crayfish in wa and that was only in like eight meters of water and he was just really stubborn or well, i was really stubborn to let go of him and give up on him and i just found myself going up to the surface and i got the cray and I just felt like I came close to, I got a Samba. So I came close to the blackout and I felt amazing. Like my legs went like 
jelly and felt good like my hands were tingling I felt really happy like I felt like I was high or something I let go of the cray and just kind of like enjoyed myself and then I was like whoa like almost like snap out like I don't know if it's just oxygen coming back to me but it just like vanished like instantly and then I was like shit okay call it a day so got out and that that's when I put myself on my first free diving course was just because of that incident I was just like wow that was pretty scary actually um but yeah weather so just Try not to go out in super hairy weather. Viz plays a massive part of diving solo. Like if it is pretty average viz, then I probably won't dive deeper than eight, 10 meters. Um, yeah, just play it on the environment. I dive spots that I am really aware of as well. I wouldn't go testing out new spots in bad viz solo. Um, so yeah, always try and make the best of the conditions. Yeah, it's funny, um, you know, where you were mentioning about the um, black, it, just before you black out and the euphoria, you know, that kicks in. I had the same situation um, during like some military training. We were swimming underwater and me being like a meathead, it was like the opposite of what, you know, you're supposed to do now that I know better. It's like, I'm not coming up until I make the distance rather yeah. than just relax, dude. Yeah. And I remember like, like going, 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 there's like this like panic or like kind of a rush. And then it just goes, wow, oh, this is amazing. Like, cause the lack of oxygen. And then you just see it started to sh like coming in, but, uh, man, it was like, yeah, it was like being high or something. It was like, if this is, if this is the last thing I see and, and knowing that it would actually give some peace of mind to a lot of people that lost relative, like the fact that they didn't suffer, they just go out. It's peaceful. It was kind of like, Hey, all right. And then, and then, yeah, and my buddy grabbed me, but yeah, it's funny because, uh, people think of that. They always see that initial, like that initial, like panic of, ah, but then they don't see the, you know, um, so it's always good to be aware of all that stuff. So, you know, like you said, you know, Oh, okay. That was bad. Um, yeah. and we, and, uh, yeah, cause we had, was, uh, Arctic freediver, the, the, the guy that passed yeah. away, um, did they, have they found him yet? Do you know? No, um, as far as I'm aware, like I posted up the day that he went um, right. in and yeah, it's just, it's a terrible story. That's that, that he was diving with someone and um, he was diving with Anthony and yeah, unfortunately shit just went wrong and, yeah. and that was it. but yeah, it's sad, but hopefully, yeah, like, like you were just saying, like it wasn't painful or anything like that. He just kind of hopefully enjoyed himself and just felt good and then kind of that was it lights out, but yeah, it's, it's a terrible thing to, to I mean, and I think the hardest thing too, is <clears throat> for your loved ones, not getting your ba body back. I mean, that's the hardest thing, but yeah. to us, I mean, if you were going to die, drowning is not a bad way to die. However, I would not prefer to die, but yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. yeah. And like when you see in movies and stuff, when people like drown, it always looks like an absolute horrific affair. And I always thought it was like a horrific affair. But I think maybe that's because of people like kind of panicking, opening their mouth, letting their oxygen out and stuff. But the blackout way, like I don't want it to happen to me, but like it doesn't seem like it's it, it's that bad. It doesn't seem that gruesome. And it's like if you die in the water doing something that you love, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty good way to go. We've all got to go. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Hopefully later in life though. I'm not saying that I want no, to. No. Yeah. It. Yeah. And it's, it's unfortunate because like you said, he was diving with a buddy and then I have a, a couple people that messaged me about him because they knew him and they yeah. were pretty upset or whatever. Um, yeah. Pretty. Those guys were pushing it, man. Those guys were diving deep. Yeah. I was I'm, like, fuck. 
but uh you know everybody knows their own body and everybody has their own ability levels but man that just sucks yeah 100 especially yeah too too young and it's just it's crap that like he had good divers with him like he had good people with him and you can kind of do things i think mistakes were made and like there's no point pointing the finger of blame or anything like that because of, right it doesn't help um but yeah it's just you can kind of do everything right and st- things still go wrong basically and it's that shit yeah and, and the other thing too is i i kind of i understand what you were saying like as far as like and yeah things were definitely done wrong in my opinion too but the one thing because i a friend messaged me about it and and you know in the grand scheme of things we all know each other and especially being guys or whatever it is like ah black dad i threw up i'm getting back in the water and we're pretty stubborn and we're pretty like manly guys i guess mm-hmm. and uh you know you can't force anybody to to do anything they don't want to do i mean everybody makes their own choices we're all adults here your yeah. buddy you know i would say like when i was working for the navy as a civilian i was like i can advise you not to do this but i can't you can do whatever you want to do i'll yeah. advise you not to do it to try to mitigate the risk and if it happens this is what we do x y and z but yeah. um yeah, I mean, again, I hate – I don't like anybody Monday morning quarterback I, unless it's to the point where we can learn from it. Yeah. You know, but playing the blame game, if somebody made a mistake, they have to live with that shit anyways, and that's yeah. terrible, you know? Yeah, it's pretty horrific. I, I So Anthony's an aimright diver as well. We're both sponsored by aimright. And um, I dropped a message basically just saying what I felt, and then he dropped his message back and – completely valid response and then i realized like hold on a second i'm pulling up a guy who already knows what could have like happened like in future like what what you probably should have done and he's going through so much shit like in his head he was actually there like that's horrific so then it was more just trying to be there as a mate as opposed to say like hey this was done wrong or blah 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 and it's so easy to say in hindsight but the main takeaway that i have for it is that if somebody does samba or whatever they might not be in the best mental state to make the right decisions later on so you got to kind of treat it like a drunk friend like sometimes <laughs> that's a yeah, perfect yeah for sure responsibility for your drunk friend even though they're being stupid they're an adult they can make their own decisions sometimes you have to just take that like extra step and say actually you know what you're not in the best capacity to make the decisions at the moment i'm going to make the decisions for you but that's, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a tough one. And then, you know, like the way always, everyone always says no fish is worth your life. And it's easy to say that. But when you take a step back and you're like, hey, this is real. This could happen. You know what? And, I, and I'm assuming too, because I've had some close calls and you look back, you're like, I almost died over that stupid ass fish. Like that was a yeah. small fish. Yeah. Like what a waste. Yeah. Like, I'd be so mad at myself, you know? Um, and uh yeah everybody's like monday morning quarterbacking and stuff you know it's like yeah well shit happens and the one thing i'll say too that i noticed with a lot of people taking free diving classes which i think are good as a whole but it's almost like giving a teenager a dragster like a car (laughs) where they're like oh i can go to 100 feet no problem but the thing is um you can do that but you don't understand everything exponentially increases you know, when you, the deeper you go and yes, you can do that, but you might feel great and, and you don't know. I mean, and I just say that having been gone from the other side where I was diving to like 60 feet, uh, you know, 20 meters my whole life. Cause 
I never took a free diving course and there was never really a need to here to go much deeper than that. But I had dove for like 20 years and then I took a free diving course because I see all these guys like pulling trigger at 120 and 100 feet. And I was like, whoa, like, wow, I didn't, didn't even consider that. Well, that'd be kind of cool to have that tool in my toolbox. So, and then I went down to Guam and it was warm and tropical. I was like, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And then you, there you're having to dive deeper and deeper and deeper, like pretty deep. Uh, and sit on the bottom for, you know, a minute, whatever you can. And, um, and it kind of occurred to me, like, with the the years of experience from diving, and then now learning about this new, you know, having this new, like, little tool in my toolbox, it was like, yeah, these young guys don't understand that just jump right into it. Like, mm-hmm. when you get past really 60, when you get like, this not, I mean, this can happen, and you're not going to realize it, because you're, yeah anything that happens down there now is like times 10 or times five or whatever it is, uh, you know, staying, staying 10 seconds longer at a hundred feet is different than staying 10 seconds longer at 50 feet. Like, yeah, yeah. and then when you're young too, you're always so damn like indestructive. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, I get it. Like I was the same way. Like I surprised that I've lived as long as I have, but like with some <laughs> of the stuff I did, you know, shit, like, um, but now you're giving these younger guys and they're just like, and then the whole social media thing, like, oh, my pull the trigger at 120, you know? Yeah. Like, fuck that. I'm going to pull the trigger at 130. Like I watched my buddies in free dive and they were going like 130. And it was like the next day it was 135 and they were talking shit to each other. And it was like, which is all good and fun. Free dive is a little different because it's all planned and, you know, shit. but then those same guys were hunting at like 60 feet still. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. And I always thought that was very interesting to me, even after diving all these years to watch them because they were more advanced at the deeper stuff. And it kind of made me think about it. And then we had an accident with some local guys, younger guys, and they're like the 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 up and coming guys, you know, and, and they're like diving deep and they're, you know, they're charging. Well, there was an accident and he was diving by himself and his buddy was in his boat and he ended up, you could see they found his depth, you know, his watch. And you see the profile and he was coming up from a hundred and just came down and was sitting there for 10 minutes. But, and again, like people started like saying, and it's like, you know what? It's a shame that that shit happens and we got to be do better as a whole, but the people, their buddies have to live with that shit. And I have a lot of friends that had a lot of bad things happen and I feel guilty about things or whatever it is and and things we've all done when we were younger. Um, So that's not really my, my, story to judge or anything like that but guys just be careful when you're diving deep you know mm-hmm. it's just different so yeah. anyways that's as much preaching as i'll do i guess <laughs> my wife wasn't here to say hey brett shut up um anyways well sam thank you so much and uh can you give us a little insight on like how we can reach you yeah yeah, yeah. so um the youtube channel is just wet mammal um facebook wet mammal productions instagram wet mammal and then i've got a website which has got kind of everything together in one which is wetmammal.life. so www.wetmammal.life. nice i like the consistency hmm. no, and i'm looking forward to seeing you uh shoot a big uh a big uh barrel as you guys say yeah yeah, yeah that's good stuff yeah, yeah, you'll see. Like it's it's incredible experience. It just that one thing I'll say, like you said about shooting the bigger fish, is that it's just like wow, this thing is powerful, and it takes like a whole crew. And what an amazing thing, you know. But that it's like that's a once. I now have enough tuna for a year, so I'm good, you know. Yeah, yeah. Really, you're calling your friends up, but yeah, it's pretty awesome. Well, um, 
I really appreciate you uh, taking being patient with me and scheduling. <laughs> and, then, and then and then with me with the mic dramas, so it's all good. Oh, it's all yeah. It's it's just it's been a pleasure. And uh, thanks again, Shrek, for um, for uh, messaging me about you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cheers, Shrek. And thank yeah. you, thank you so much for having me on, man. This is absolutely awesome. And yeah, quality bloke to have a chat to. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'd like to uh, like just share. You know, I I love to share the where you are in the world with us because it's so distant and then there's different things and it's always cool to get a different perspective on things too and i think us americans we love the aussie accent it's hilarious and your sayings i think uh what was it T- today shrek said something about on my facebook he said some aussie phrase and i was like i don't know what the fuck you're talking about and he's <laughs> like <laughs> he's like oh i explained the whole thing so anyways you guys are great man and uh uh, yeah. And hopefully, uh, maybe one day I'll get a chance to dive with you down there in the UK or wherever. So that would be sick. Um, if, if not, I'm hoping of coming out to the West coast, maybe next year. So, um, up to oh, you. yeah, I'll be here. Yeah. Awesome. De- definitely hit me up if you come out here. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Sam. I appreciate your time, brother. Awesome. Thank you. Have a good Thank one. You. Cheers. All right. That completes the show for today. Thank you so much, Sam, for sharing all your adventures with us. And be sure to check him out at Wet Mammal, uh, his YouTube, and also his Instagram account. And I hope you guys have an awesome month. And uh, we'll see you next time here at Spear Factor. And if you want to continue uh, to further support the podcast, go to the Patreon page forward slash Spear Factor. And you can donate there. And also, if you had any questions or wanted some more information, you can look on spearfactor.com. There's also a YouTube channel that has the video portion of all these uh, podcasts. So I encourage everybody to check it out. And then some of them are even broken down into uh, topics. So check that out at uh, Spear Factor on YouTube. All right. Take care. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. You want to succeed, you want to fish, you want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.